Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, is, it, is it a commercial? You. Do you like chips? Like, do you really like chips? Where to the point where you're eating chips so much that you look around and there's crumbs and you're like, who put those crumbs there? Did I put those crumbs there? And I'm, and I'm here to tell you, yes, yes, you did, because you like chips. And if you like Cheetos, especially Flamin' Hot Cheetos, then you should tell people to subscribe to this channel, the Bitcoin podcast, because one out of a thousand, that's right. When we get a thousand subscribers, one of them is going to get a hundred bags of Cheetos, flaming hot Cheetos, baby. Think to yourself, how, how many Cheetos is that? And I'm here to tell you, it's like a million calories. If you ate it all, you would most definitely not be healthy, but we're going to send them to you because Flamin' Hot Cheetos are amazing. So that's right. Share this around. Get us to 1,000 subscribers. We'd like to have 1,000 subscribers because if we had 1,000 subscribers, that means one of those 1,000 subscribers is getting 100 bags of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. So, you know, do your thing, guys. Do that YouTube stuff. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking, then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack where the people there don't suck, or at least their jobs don't. So, in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. And hello, everybody. Uh, you know, welcome back to another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews. Uh, today, we have a special guest, Dan from Exidio. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, D? What's going on, Jesse? Thanks for having me, guys. No problem, man. So we're gonna we're gonna keep true to how we typically start these interviews. Dan, there was once a time where you were Dan the man and you weren't involved with crypto, right? You're just living your life, doing your thing. And then crypto came into your life, you know, time slowed down. It was like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm gonna stop who I was, Dan the man, and I'm gonna come into this new crypto version of Dan. And like, what happened? What got you into crypto? When did you know, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going full-time crypto. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't completely stop. So I was in Costa Rica at the time. Um, I was serving in the United States Peace Corps. And I was on a rural island, like a tiny little island, Isla de Chira. Chira was like an um, indigenous Charotagan princess in uh, Costa Rica back in the day. And so mm. this is tiny little island. It's just a dirt road on it. Uh, and now my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and I were um, serving in the Peace Corps, helping uh, do local business development with uh, small businesses on the island that, and helping them form a tourism collective, uh, ecotourism, because the island was really the whole economy on this island was fishing. Um, it's mostly men that fished, and that's pretty much the only way that they generate every re any revenue, and it's a pretty poor island. Um, so we helped them to think about other ways to find different sources of income and, and just be a little bit more self-sustaining. Uh, and it was really rewarding work, but um, you know, like any small town, not even just in Costa Rica, but anywhere in the world, there's small town politics and chatter. And sometimes certain people don't want to work with other people. And we kind of expected some of that, those challenges going in. So, um, and we did a lot of training going to the Peace Corps. So we kind of knew that there were going to be ups and downs. And during the downs, you know, certain meetings get canceled or things that your projects that you're moving forward on just aren't going as quick as you want. 
So I had other things that I wanted to do as first as far as personal development. Started going down um, the rabbit hole on like personal finance and investing. Uh, got into equities a little bit, and then yeah, like your point, D. That that was it. I started learning about crypto, and it combined so many of my different personal interests all in one space. Uh, and that was like you know early 2017 um, that I kind of went full board on uh, the crypto rabbit hole. Nice man. Twenty, you said twenty fifteen. Twenty seventeen, like twenty seventeen, uh, oh. twenty sixteen, early twenty seventeen. You got you got pulled into that uh, twenty seventeen ICO <laughs> windfall of information. That's that was that, you know twenty seventeen was a game changer year for all of crypto. Yeah, because it was two years after Ethereum uh, did its ICO, and then you know what is cop- copycat? You know that's. That's what people do. They're like, oh man, that was really successful, I'm d- and I could do it really quick on Ethereum. And it's the ICO craze. Um, for those of you listening, if you want to know about the ICO craze, you can buy my book, uh, ICOs. What's popping? By <laughs> D. No, I'm kidding. I don't have a book, but just you know, go read. It's the internet. It's there. So it was a wild time. That's yeah. For sure. So, um, so would you say this is very interesting? I've talked about something in the past, and I said that there's a large percentage of people in crypto who are, and I know there's negative connotations of the word, but they're financially vulnerable. I don't think, I think now it's 2021. Vulnerability is not a negative word anymore. It used to be, it used to be like, oh, that person's vulnerable. Take them out. They're weak, weakness. But now vulnerable just means like open-minded and available to ideas, Mm -hmm. right? And that was me back when I started with crypto. I was financially vulnerable because I was like, man, I'm working as a teacher. This money's coming in real slow, going out real fast. Right. So I need, I need to figure something. I need to figure out something. Were you in that frame or were you just like, hey, I just want to learn more about these uh, different financial. Um, what do we call them? We'll just call them things because my, my brain's running low. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. So why I was looking into personal finance was to, to continue to secure a better future for myself and for my family and to um, look at how to make sure that I'm preparing myself for for long term. But um in the Peace Corps, you make like zero money, but you also have like very low spending. Um, so you, you go you go into the Peace Corps knowing that like this isn't going to be a way that you're going to like bank up like some savings or anything of that nature. Um, but I had like my wife and I were a little bit older. I think I was like 29 or 30, um, at least when I joined the Peace Corps, maybe yeah, around that age. She was like 26, 27. So we were older than some of the kids coming straight out of undergrad that haven't had any income. So we had worked for a while. So we were probably a little bit better off, you know, relatively financially than everyone else in the Peace Corps, which is like we had a tiny bit of a nest egg and they just didn't have any. Um, So, yeah, but I I realized that like I was I'm always someone that wants to think big, think about how can I make it a big impact on the future um, and not just worrying about today or tomorrow. Um, So definitely thinking about personal finance from that perspective. Um, but I definitely wasn't like, you know, worried about, you know, where, where food's going to come the next day or something like that. Nice. Nice. Um, it, well, that's good. It sounds like you like always lead with the good foot, helping people out, which let's, let's kind of bring that into Exidio. So before we talk about Exidio specifically, what problem did you see that you were like, okay, this is a problem. We need a solution. Right. What is that problem statement that, you know, that observation that you made about all the crypto? You're like, okay, now's the time to find a solution. Yeah. Well, I think crypto in general solves a huge problem around um, inequity, especially where it comes to finances. Um, You know, banks are predatory and uh, especially remittances and things like uh, Western Union are just fucking really horrible and really predatory for uh, people that are just trying to get by or to be able to send money to their families. Um, so once I started learning about how crypto provides, you know, access to everyone and it's censorship resistant and uh, it's globally accessible and the barriers to entry, while like there are technical barriers, they're not that hard as, as long as you have a smartphone and you're able to, to do your own kind of like research and learn about how to use these protocols. Um, that was it. I, I was immediately hooked. And, and I've always been passionate about uh, financial inclusion and being able to provide better education and assistance to um, people. Uh, so that was really um, all I needed to get further involved in the in the crypto ecosystem. And then I worked for several different projects. Um, I worked for Salt Lending, 
um, back in 2017, 2018. I worked for a block party. Um, uh, and now it's uh, rebranded to NFT protocol, but they're originally a ticketing uh, blockchain to provide um, NFTs to provably get access to uh, concerts and be able to resell a ticket, but uh, be able to earn from the resale. Um, and so I was involved in the crypto ecosystem for quite a while, um, but I was always involved with Sentinel. So Sentinel is a peer-to-peer bandwidth marketplace. Um, so Jesse, for example, if you want to start earning passive income, you can offer your home bandwidth to this network. And then I could route my traffic through your, through your node. And when I'm connecting to your node, um, I'm paying you uh, to be able to get access to your node. And by, by doing so, I'm getting access to decentralized VPN. So Sentinel was a project that um, I was always supported from a long time and I invested in early on. And I really believe in privacy and being able to get more sovereignty and privacy on, um, you know, online. And uh, I, I saw the Tor network. I always thought that was really interesting. But then I came, I came to realize that the Tor network itself was corrupted and didn't have um, the privacy that like it, you know, the ideals of what the, the, the Tor network promised to have. Um, so Sentinel is essentially like a Tor network, but it's um, incentivized. Mm. Let, me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, I, I assume you've used like torrenting sites um, in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are, What are your thoughts of the incentivization of BitTorrent by Justin Sun after he purchased it from Bram Cohen? Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, BitTorrent is is a great service, right? Is being able to get access to content, yeah. but you're not getting provably end-to-end encrypted connection. And because mm-hmm. a lot of the nodes on uh, the Tor network have been taken over by intelligence agencies, so they're able to do a lot of like. Um, graphing of the network and be able to triangulate kind of like your IP address or your metadata and be able to identify it back to you. So mm-hmm. it's you're not getting the privacy that you would hope for on the Tor network. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Justin Sun, I mean, that guy, that guy's a wild guy in this space, right? Mm-hmm. He's a he's a mover and a shaker, and he finds ways to like um, make, <laughs> sorry way to like make make number go up, make uh, but. I don't know if it's always in the best faith, right? Like even yeah. the on white paper itself had a ton of plagiarism stuff in it. Right. Um, so, you know, but I mean, smart move. That's probably the, one of the bigger like peer to peer networks that exists on the planet. And so for him to take, yeah. you know, to take advantage of that, I think is interesting, but uh, Sentinel is, is a, a growing peer to peer network that I think um, just has massive potential. I Rock mean, swag right now if you guys can't see it. Oh, I, I, I'm a fan of DVPN. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of DVPN. Do you use it, D? Uh, I don't, I don't use it. I use it by watching, by investing and watching, watching the number go up, and and rooting it off from the sidelines. So that's why I like DVPN. Um, and we're ready to change that. So today is the eighth of December. I'm not sure exactly when this podcast is going to go live, but a week from today, the fifteenth of December. Uh, Exidio, the company I'm leading, are building the front-end applications to, for everyone to be able to easily get access to decentralized VPN. I just put out a Twitter thread right before we jumped on this podcast uh, about 20 minutes ago, mm-hmm. and it's um, that our app is actually now live on iOS for pre-order, and it'll go live for everyone to be able to use on the 15th. So, so really stoked about that. So it's we're really focused on getting consumer adoption of access to decentralized VPN. Versus just uh, focused on the, you know, the, the token. Yeah. My personal, Jesse, like my personal theories behind, by D, behind DVPN and why as I'm just on the sidelines kind of now as somebody who, you know, speculatively invests in it. But I do think it's going to be a part of that decentralized internet stack where you have Handshake that's decentralizing yeah. top level domains. Mm-hmm. Then you have Sidecoin or some sort of decentralized stores that's decentralizing all of the storage needs of hosting websites and hosting all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then you have also uh, Exidio DVPN, which is decentralizing uh, where people, I mean, basically governments don't like people to be super sovereign because them governments like their money and that control. So they when they when they shut down a website, there's always like one person or entity they can go to. Right. Hey, I don't like your site. Oh, all the servers are there. OK, cool. Shutting it down. Going in there with my with my big old guns. And my big old flashlights and I'm shutting down those servers. Your servers are belong to me. But if everything's decentralized, where do they go? What what server do they hit? Like they can come to my crib. Oh, you're running a DVB in node. Let me get your computer. 
It's like, damn, that sucks. It's really overreaching. You're wasting all that money on me in my house. Right. So you got it exactly right. It's a part of the Web3 stack, right? And decentralizing all the layers of the Web3 stack. And to your point, the central network is decentralizing the bandwidth layer, uh, the networking layer. And like to your point, if they say, oh, you're running a DVPN node and we don't want you to do that, they could come to you. And I would recommend D in that scenario. You probably want to comply with the authorities or whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying but, to get shot in the face. But that's, that's one individual like node, right? And we're happy. <laughs> we, we want to have hundreds of thousands of nodes around the globe so that the network stays robust and resilient. And um, it'd be really hard to shut down any, the entire network uh, without yeah. shutting down all the individual nodes. So you got it exactly right, man. Are you worried like, like that there will be government crackdown in the future? I mean, so everything in the world, right, is a cat and mouse game. Um, yeah. Technology isn't inherently good, you know, malevolent or benevolent. Technology sure. is just a tool. Um, and so people can use this to get end-to-end -end encrypted connection online and to be yeah. able to have better privacy online and so that the, your internet service provider can't be peering on all the metadata mm -hmm. of your, your internet traffic, which I believe is a fundamental right for all of us to be able to have that. I don't yeah. want a camera in my bath bathroom watching whatever my wife is doing in there. Like, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. I also don't want someone monitoring my online traffic. Um, you know, if I post something on social media, I disclose what, decide what I want to disclose or what not what I want to disclose. Um, so by those same means, I think that we should have those rights online. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I do think that it's always going to be a cat and mouse game. And if we decide not to fight back and we decide not to provide decentralized protocols and we just let, you know, our, what I call our digital overlords, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Google, those companies that just control our online experience and control what our reality is online. Um, and they're probably need to comply with big governments when governments want information, then we basically throw our hands up in the air and give up and say, we're not actually trying to provide a better privacy and, and sovereignty online. Um, and so the only thing we can do is continue to provide tools that are decentralized and continue to fight back. Um, but yeah, we also need to be cognizant of like, there could be agencies that try to spin up nodes on the Sentinel network and try to identify those things and, and try to make sure that the network stays resilient so that uh, it doesn't happen similar to what happened with Tor. Mm. So actually, to, to that question, or well, to that comment that you made, how do you prevent, like, um, how do you prevent infiltration, I guess? I think prevent is a, is a tough word, right? There's, this yeah. is a peer-to-peer -peer network, and, and it's, you know, I can't stop anyone. I'm the CEO of Exidio, and I can shout from a mountaintop saying, like, I want to shut down the network if I, if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And as long as the Sentinel blockchain and all the validators are validating the Sentinel blockchain stays active, and as long as there's people like you, Jesse, offering bandwidth and there's other people that want to connect to your node, mm -hmm. then I'm powerless. I can't stop the network. I'm just one company building products and tools on top of the network. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that permissionless uh, architecture, mm -hmm. it's impossible to stop anyone from offering a bandwidth node. Mm -hmm. But what, we would, what would happen is the community would be monitoring it. And if you start seeing a lot of weird or irregular, irregular activity, yeah. um, that would be a sign that like something funny is going on. And then there would have to be, you know, ways to identify what those nodes are and maybe, yeah. you know, not, not encourage people to use those or, or whatever the case may be, but yeah. um, you'd have to find technical solutions to those challenges. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if we do have that problem in a weird way, that, that's a good problem. That means we're providing decentralized bandwidth for millions of people and, and the government is, uh, you know, trying to take action about that. But mm. uh, it's definitely something that we're cognizant of and, um, yeah, there's no perfect solution, I believe. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a perfect solution. I think um, governments are going to try to government as hard as they can. Um, there's lots of theories around, Jesse, like about how governments are going to respond to this, to crypto Everything. ultimately, yeah. you know, and it's hard to tell. I, I, If I had to put my, you know, Negro Damas cap on, I would say like, just they're going to do it from the inside out. Right. We've our governments have already proven that they can print infinity money. They literally said it. They say it on shows all the time. Like there's never and we're just going to print however much money we need to do what we need to do. Right. So why not print a bunch of USD, provide, you know, legal groundwork for you to buy as much ether as you possibly can and then just control the majority of the staking network. Right. And do what you want. Right. Like there's they're going to play by the rules of the code in order to beat the code, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm no. You know, I'm just saying, like, 
governments are going to try to govern it. They're not just going to lay over and take it, spread cheeks, you know. But anyways, <laughs> let's. Yeah, I mean, right now it's happening, right? The the hearing of the Senate Financial or the House Financial Services Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Jeremy Allaire and Sam Bankman fried and a lot of people are testifying. Um, so the regulatory framework is continuing to evolve. Um, we need to be aware of it, but yeah. it's not going to stop us from providing tools for, for sovereignty and privacy. Online yeah. for people. It's never going to stop. And like, you can follow some breadcrumbs that are happening right now. Governments, governments run the DNS right now, right? U S specifically runs DNS. Uh, you can. Well, Coinbase and the U.S. government go together like, I don't know, honey and peanut butter. Everybody knows it. It's no mystery. Coinbase is basically going to be the new Fed. They're just, you know, Brian Armstrong is making out with as many government officials as he can on a daily and weekly basis so he can control a lot of how U.S.'s crypto relations go in the future. Well, Coinbase has also been very public about their involvement in the ENS DAO. I mean... Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying they have a large yeah, thing in the game. Very obvious. That's why I think like handshake is so cool, right? Yeah, handshake is a stack above ENS, right? And so I think, or a layer above, layer above. I don't know, lingo tech guy. But all I'm saying is, I don't have to be conspiratorial to see like, oh, Coinbase has like the top five stake in ENS. Come on now. They're voting heavy. They're voting heavy on everything on how ENS should go. Right. So it's, you know, anyways, let's let, let me take my Negro Dom's cap off and let's actually get into Exidio. So you explained something very exciting. You said, hey, we're working on use UI specifically to allow someone like myself or someone like, I don't know, my sister to, to be able to offer up our, our broadband connection and get paid in return, get paid in kind for that offer. So so give us a breakdown on, of it. Yeah, exactly right. So that's the basic framework for the Sentinel network. Uh, Sentinel is this bandwidth sharing marketplace where you or your sister or Jesse offers bandwidth. Um, and so right now there's um, a software package that's out called the Handy Host. It's handyhost.computer. And... Um, if you're offering your bandwidth through the handy host, you earn DVPN tokens for doing so. If you offer your um, file storage uh, through the handy host, you earn Siacoin tokens for doing so. If you offer your cloud compute to the network through the handy host, you're an AKT tokens, the Akash token for doing so. And all projects and all DVPN applications built on the Sentinel framework natively re- uh, resolve handshake domains. Um, and so you earn the HNS token as well. So it's kind of a four in one, like um, web 3.0 mining protocol where you're leveraging all these existing resources that you already have um, and offering them to this network and getting paid to do so. So that's the first software suite. That's really cool. And it's kind of think the first software suite we've ever seen for multiple layers of the web three stack, um, creating a front end user fit interface that any consumer can use to be able to start earning um, cryptocurrencies that are crucial parts of the decentralized web stack. Um, but then at Exidio, we're also going to be building a, um, a different user interface for a desktop application for anyone to offer bandwidth. And so that's on the one side of the like peer-to-peer marketplace. That's on the, the supply side, people offering mm-hmm. bandwidth in the network. But then the majority of people in the Sentinel network are just looking for access to VPN. Um, and the Sentinel network is really offering VPN just like you would get or what you'd expect from a centralized VPN. Um, it's no different. You're getting access to being able to route your traffic through a different IP address, mm-hmm. getting a solid, uh, consistent internet connection, and getting an end-to-end, end-to-end encrypted connection. But the difference between the Sentinel network offering VPN versus you know, some of the companies that you might already know in the VPN space is that Sentinel is peer-to-peer. So there's no company, including Exidio, there's no company whatsoever that can log your data or is in control of the nodes. The nodes that are all um, offering bandwidth are posting the details of their node to the Sentinel blockchain. And then whatever front-end application you're using, one, you know, could be the Exidio DVPN app that we're launching in a week, or any other company that's building their own um, VPN, decentralized VPN built on the Sentinel framework, they're all open source, and you can prove that they're end-to-end encrypted. And those front-end applications are just calling the blockchain via API to get the list of the nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no company in the middle. There's no um, company that's maintaining the nodes or the servers. Um, and so... It's provably end-to-end encrypted, and it's uh, much more resilient because much of the nodes on the network are residential nodes, 
um, some people that are offering bandwidth from their homes, those nodes are far less likely to get pinged as like VPN IP addresses. And so they're actually able to get access to content that a lot of other VPN companies, while they promise you can get access to it, still can't. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like I have so many questions about this whole like domain of VPN stuff. Yeah, um, let's dig into it. So, so if I am running DVPN, or is it is it called DVPN, the, like the client? Yeah, the Sentinel DVPN. Okay, so let's say I'm running that on my computer. Um, you said it's end-to-end encrypted. Now, for for a layperson like me, what does that mean? Does that mean that um, you know, let's say the NSA or whatever gets a node on the network and they're trying to like sniff out other nodes on the network, right? Does that mean that it protects me from being known in terms of my identity, my IP address? Yeah, so that's a good question. If you're routing a traffic, you're routing your traffic through a node and that mm-hmm. exit node is the NSA, just like Jesse, I couldn't call your phone unless I had your phone number. Mm-hmm. The exit node in any system does have the metadata that's being trafficked through that exit node. Mm-hmm. But um, we're building on a relay network mm-hmm. um, so that you can route your traffic through one IP address and it's NN encrypted at that IP. Mm-hmm. And then it's decrypted and encrypted at the next IP address and then decrypted and encrypted again at the next IP address. So you'd have a multi-hop architecture. Mm-hmm. And with that, the exit node would only have the IP address that it routed the traffic through mo- the, the, the last hop before it. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have the metadata of the traffic of the internet and it would have the IP address that it doesn't know if that's the first the first hop in the network or if it's one of multiple hops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your your connect your connection is end end encrypted, um, and there's like your your internet service provider is not able to log your metadata, mm-hmm. um, and the exit node is only able to have is, is is able to have the same information that any exit node in a system would have, but no company is there to be able to log or you and use your data. Can they um, just like exit at all like all the points? Just send packets of information that exit on like all the nodes. Yeah. So right now we, we yeah. don't have an architecture where you can connect to all the nodes at once. Um, you you have to select what IP address you're routing your traffic through. Mm. Gotcha. What I mean is like, can they like select, like you know, just like by by numbers, by virtue mm. of enough connections, um, in totality, can they? Like, is there a way for them to identify people who are running nodes? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, okay. All the IP addresses are posted, so you can see what IP addresses are being offering bandwidth. But um, it, it's an opt-in network, so people can continue to spin up more and more nodes. Um, so, like, if you're routing your traffic through a different IP address, mm-hmm. that's you know D's IP address, right. and then the NSA is running a different node. Yeah. Um, if you're routing your traffic through D's node, they wouldn't be able to have access to any of that content. So that's the power of peer-to-peer network versus yeah. um like a vpn company where they have control of all the nodes and all they need is like a government to tap them on the shoulder and they have the traffic of everything that's happened across their network gotcha yeah yeah i i think i think i'm understanding um that the the differences um just kind of like whenever whenever i see a network that has incentivization i think two things well now it can be co-opted by money right at the end of the day um, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, that's the first threat model. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause like, I, I don't know network topologies and how to, how to, um, basically blast information packets so you can kind of suss out everybody, but I'd imagine given enough money, they could, they could do that and just get a list. Like, like you said, pricey. I feel like it would be really, really pricey yeah. right, to do that. And that's kind of like. That's kind of a deterrent. Well, so anyway, um, yeah. So the the revenue model is just for offering bandwidth, and people are routing their traffic through your node. You get mm-hmm. paid for that traffic, and you can yeah. set the price that you want. Um, but if you set a crazy high price, then you're probably disincentivizing people to to be able to connect to your node. And if you set a low price, like what's the point in doing so? You want to be able to generate revenue from this node. Mm-hmm. But um, the revenue aspect of the network doesn't stop the network from growing and scaling, you know, indefinitely. And it just, cause you submit up a node, if no one's, no one's connecting to your node and routing traffic through your node, then you're not earning revenue. Um, it's only for the actual bandwidth that's consumed from your node. Mm. So they could just pay for like a bunch of bandwidth, like to, to, to basically use everybody's node to find all the exit points and then collect all those, 
all those. I mean, you said that there's like a there's like a director. Yeah, I actually spoke with. Um, do you guys know Arweave? Yeah, I know yeah, all I the project. We, I tried working with it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting project for you know long term data permanence. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, and Sam uh, Sam Williams, the founder of Arweave, is a really smart guy, and he talks mm-hmm. about like this concept of like red painting your technology and making it like so robust that like the CCP wouldn't be able to co-opt it and like, and shut you down if, if you're China resilient. Um, and he actually talks about that. <laughs> it's kind of like a Merkle tree of nodes where like you are discovering more nodes um, as you use the protocol more um, so that like the, you wouldn't have a final list of all the nodes that's publicly available. So those are definitely like concepts I think we'd like to explore, um, but we haven't kind of gotten that far down the, the, um, resiliency kind of like uh path yet but mm-hmm. i think that that's a really interesting design challenge um but i do yeah. think that's going to be important over time i have an interesting question and it, it it stemmed from one of the community members in our in our slack and uh he's much more involved in crypto now so he hasn't said anything and we do miss you you know who i'm talking about i'm talking to you but he he worked for um, very large telecom companies as a consultant, mm-hmm. like as a long-term, <laughs> long-term consultant. Um, and his end-all be-all with crypto, and this is way back in the day, we're talking 2016. He was like, at the very end of the day, we're all pushing decentralization with no uh, scheme in mind to incentivize who has it centralized right now, right? So what I mean by that is right now I pay a ISP, and they grant me access to their network and they grant me an amount of bandwidth, right? And they and they obviously track everything I do because they're the person that knows what all that is coming to me and coming from me, right? So if all of a sudden them monitoring all my broadband traffic, they see this question mark style of data coming from my node on their network, what incentivizes them to not stop that or incentivizes them to not send me that stupid ass email of like, Hey, you got something fishy going on with your network. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to turn off HBO, you you know, if you keep this shit up, right? Like I just, you know what I'm saying? Like what's incentivizing the ISP in like a country like I live in to be like, okay, I'm just going to Netflix out on this one. And what I mean by that is, when the Netflix CEO was asked, hey, you know, people are just sharing their credentials and logging. He was like, that's perfect. I want them to do that. I want more people to hear that Netflix bong. I don't care. I'll sacrifice that extra revenue to get more people loving my brand. So what? how are we incentivizing these ISPs to be okay if there's a proliferation of people wanting to give their broadband up and they start seeing all this activity? What? Why wouldn't they just be like, yeah, stop. No, I don't want that. Yeah, I mean, competition first and foremost. And I know that ISPs don't have a lot of competition in your local jurisdiction. There's usually oh. like only one or two options. But people have been using an encrypted connection for a long time. Um, if they, like this would be something that would go to like the Supreme Court. If people were to say that I want to be able to get access to an encrypted connection, which is a legal right of any individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Internet service providers denying that right by shutting people off that would be something that would like get handled in the courts. But basically there's nothing that's precluding you from being able to have access to an end-to-end encrypted connection. Um, you know, it's just provably end-to-end encrypted. A lot of like end-to-end encrypted connections claim they're end-to-end encrypted, but like you don't know if they're logging or, or listening on the back end. Um, I think there were some issues with that with WhatsApp that claimed to be end-to-end encrypted. Um, I think there have been some challenges to, and I think there's some class action suit against Zoom um, as it, it like, claimed to be end-to-end encrypted. Um, and I think at one point that like there wasn't fully um, closed. But, you know, there's there's no way that an internet service provider can preclude you from being able to have an end-to-end encrypted connection. Um, the thing is that you're right, it hasn't proliferated as far as most people adopting it, but it's also a lot more widely adopted than we realize. Almost everyone in China is, is looking for VPNs to be able to get access to content. And while it's not publicly talked about in China, everyone is knowing it and sharing the different you know VPNs that they can use. Um, so it's pretty much like it's hard to stop. Um, you know, these are applications that any consumer can use, and as long as the consumer has access to that application, they'll be able to get an encrypted connection. 
So what is what is is like a, the end all be all for um, well? So Exidio is like a company doing the UX for for Sentinel, but like in your mind, like what drives you to to basically build Exidio? What what is your uh, end goal for adoption? Like what do you want to happen? Yeah, I mean for me, I want to see a hundred million people around the world having an access to a provably end-to-end encrypted connection, taking our privacy, taking our sovereignty back online. Um, and being able to know that like we can have a better, safer environment. Just one application like the Sentinel DVPN um, or the Exidio DVPN on the Sentinel network is not going to be a silver bullet that takes care of all of the issues as far as privacy, security, um, you know, cybercrime online. Uh, but what we need to do is continue to provide tools for people that are easy to use, that people can like easily adopt and get better privacy and have more uh, sovereignty online. So for me, I wanna see tens of thousands of people at least offering bandwidth to the network and earning income for doing so. And I wanna see you know, 100 million people connecting to this network and getting end-to-end encrypted connection. Um, Sentinel is uh, a blockchain built on the Cosmos SDK. We're part of the Cosmos ecosystem. And um, we're connected to all the other chains that are connected on IBC, the Inter Blockchain Communications Protocol built on Cosmos. And that's been awesome. And it's made it for truly um, uh, peer-to-peer and truly uh, a truly decentralized network. Um, but that happened at the beginning of this year. Sentinel uh, and Dean, I were talking before this call, was originally a project built on Ethereum. Um, and the token was an ETH token. And all of the nodes that were offering bandwidth were hosting the nodes on Ethereum. Um, but when we were on Ethereum, they, the, this was on a testnet all of the nodes had to go through a master node to be able to um, route all the traffic because of the latency of, because of um, the throughput of the Ethereum network. It wasn't, it wasn't possible. Um, so now that we're on Cosmos, we have a truly decentralized and truly peer-to-peer network. And I want to see global adoption of that. I want to see people that are excited about um, getting better privacy online. So it's like what drives me every day. Um, I think that this is something that's so basic and a fundamental right. And it's something that like is tangible that we can adopt. I like it, man. That's a very good impetus. That's a very good why. And a difficult why. I'll tell you that too, because it was like three Thanksgiving dinners ago for me when I had all my family together and I was like, stop using Facebook, protect your privacy. And they were like, yeah, but no, I like it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's a hard stop. So it's, 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 a, you definitely have, it's, it's a hefty marketing gymnastic show that you've got to do in order to get people to be aware of their privacy online and care about it. That's just my, given my experience to, to just cause they don't, you know, they'd rather look at yeah, and we, we choose convenience over, over, you know, security, right. Mm-hmm. Convenience over privacy, but that, that tide is starting to change. Um, and we've seen VPNs have massive adoption. Um, I think 2016, the VPN industry was like a $16 billion industry. And in 2020, it crossed over $30 billion. And it's pro- uh, projected to go to like $107 billion by 2026. It's a really fast-growing industry because people are starting to adopt privacy protocols. And it's not just you know China or people in the Middle East. It's really a global user base. So even when we were on Ethereum, we had 500,000 people across the world that had downloaded uh, apps on the Sentinel network. So I think as far as a blockchain-based network, we have some of, one of the biggest global adoptions of any decentralized application across the globe. Um, but that was based on ETH, and now we want to see real big adoption uh, as it's truly peer-to-peer on our Cosmos chain. And I need to learn about Cosmos, too. Like, everybody yeah. talks about Cosmos over the past few years, but, like, never really looked under the hood. That blockchain. Yeah, man. Cosmos does solid work. I have, like... Uh, original, they, they were at, I think it was DevCon 3, but whichever one was in Mexico, they handed out these like silver Cosmos coins. Obviously, it wasn't real silver, but mm. I, was, I was a big fan. I was at that booth for a while getting learned. Um, and uh, the Cosmos is doing big stuff. That ecosystem is growing. Every ecosystem is growing. It's like now is the time. Hold up. This is important. This is a public, ser- public service announcement brought to you by the Bitcoin podcast. Now is the time to specialize. Okay. Specialize in something. If you want to do Cosmos, do Cosmos. Go hard in the paint on Cosmos. Amen. Avalanche, go hard in the paint on Avalanche because we've already shown, and there's so many options now, like bridges. 
uh, side chains. There's all kinds of ways to link these things together. And, you know, I'm definitely not a scientist that could tell you how, but I'll let you know it's going to be a reality. So just specialize in something, have the domain expertise to be able to speak the language of the other people that have domain expertise. So that's it. I'll get off of my soapbox now. So. <laughs> Well, the Cosmos ecosystem, I think, is really cool because you don't need to bridge assets from one chain to the other. So Cosmos is the first ecosystem that has native interoperability that's live. I know that that's uh, also some of the plans for Polkadot. But for Cosmos, like the Sentinel blockchain is its own independent blockchain, but it's an application-specific blockchain tailored for a bandwidth network. But the Sentinel blockchain is connected to all the other chains in the Cosmos ecosystem via IBC, the Interblockchain Communications Protocol that went live earlier this year. And so now it's as if you're bridging between different blockchains, but it happens natively um, through IBC. And so you can do swaps, you can do cross-chain communication, you can do things as if they're all ERC-20 tokens, everything works seamlessly, mm-hmm. um, but they're independent blockchains and they can scale horizontally because you know the, the Cosmos network continues to get stronger and the communication grows even stronger as... Um, more chains connect to IBC. And if you want to see all the chains that are live on the Cosmos IBC right now, go to the mapazones.com um, and see all the different chains. I think it's close to over 30 now, um, but there's... How do you spell that? I, map of zones? Yeah, map of zones. Let's see. I think I may have... Yep, I stumbled... No, no, I saw the 3D representation of this, not the 2D one. Okay. That one loaded slow on my computer. Mapozones.com. So how does this actually, you know, I, I know we're talking about Exidium now, I'm kind of curious, <laughs> learning about, so like, I, I love talking about, you know, the projects, then I like going all the way up the chain, you know, and, and trying to learn things, but that, that'll, that'll be something I'll do offline then. I don't want to bring those questions here. Yeah. Well, I definitely recommend uh, digging deeper into Cosmos. It's because every project on Cosmos needs to bootstrap their own validator set mm-hmm. and provide their own sovereign security. Mm-hmm. There's been zero rug pulls. There's been zero crappy projects built on Cosmos because mm-hmm. you need to get, you need to be able to convince solid validators that you're actually worth their time. They're going to put in the effort to actually validate your blockchain. Uh, it's capital intensive. It's time intensive. Um, and so it's, it's for projects that have a serious long-term vision and for builders, it's, it's not something you can spin up overnight and, and like try to just fake it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I've been really happy. Like I, I we presented at uh, Cosmoverse which was a bigger crypto conference for the Cosmos ecosystem in Lisbon mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of November. And that was awesome to finally get the whole Cosmos community together. Um, and I've, I've just never been more bullish on the Internet Blockchain Communications Protocol. And uh, they call it the Internet of Blockchains and how this is going to be able to make for a far more seamless experience for application-specific blockchains. Mm. I, I was waiting for, um, for use case-specific L1 networks that have even, you know, more, like, I, I, I didn't buy into the, to the idea that any L1 could actually general purpose run everything. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's just interesting to kind of like, um, look at all the different, um, L1 implementations and they're all doing it a little bit differently in terms yeah. of scaling. Yeah. 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 So that's exactly what Cosmos is like Sentinel is a layer one blockchain, right? We're mm-hmm. our own native sovereign blockchain, Yeah. but we are able as a zone of the so that's like map of zones all the zones mm-hmm. in the cosmos ecosystem and the hub is is the cosmos hub um mm-hmm. where like ibc tra- transactions are routed through mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I completely agree with you that i think we're going to have application specific blockchains that will make more sense for whatever the purpose is you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well, I would like to show the audience something real quick and that is some 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 milestones that you can be proud of dan I don't know if your nickname is Dan the Man, but it should be after looking at this. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I think that's readable. Is that legible? Or is that yeah, too I can, tiny? I can I can see it. Maybe uh, make it a little bit bigger. Just Let me get my zoom on. There we go. Get my zoom on. But 900 plus terabytes of data transmitted, which is not a little bit. That's a lot. Yeah. 2,500 five-star reviews on Google Play. Average rating of 4.0. Dan, now's the time to fat. Did you, you didn't pay for those, did you? I know that's a thing. <laughs> we don't have money for 2,500 reviews, bro. All right. 
All right, I just like that. Yeah, put it out on the table. We got oh, man. 200, probably 30, 30 of those were some of friends and family that I introduced to the app, but <laughs> 2,470. One is my mom, one is my wife. No, <laughs> so, uh, with over 200,000 users across all platforms, flagship DVP and application has seen significant growth, very nice, and 10,000 average daily sessions, which is more than a lot of people could say. For their things so oh, maybe i'll ask you a question about this like usability yeah. standpoint because like i i like my thousand megabits per second up and down what is the typical like up and down on this when using this vpn yeah so because it's a peer-to-peer network it's right. depending on the nodes yeah. that you're connecting to yeah so um, it's average like, yeah i would say that like a thousand is about average um Jesus, I mean, it would depend really? it would depend on each node so really like it's, it's the thing is we're like, we're also going to build out a review system where you mm-hmm. can rate the nodes, you know, like similar to Uber or, or he's going to have the best. Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. You can start to review the nodes and, and rate them based on um, your, your preference and then connect to ones that you favorite. Um, yeah. So the more, the more consistent nodes, the one with better up and down time, the ones yeah. with low latency are yeah. the ones that are probably able to charge more as well. Let's see. I'm gonna be using this as soon as well. You guys are already live, right? Yeah, there's a proof of concept app on yeah. um on only on Google Play, oh. but our native apps are going live on the 15th. Okay. So 15th. um yeah, really stoked for that. And then we're gonna be putting desktop apps out after that. And then what I'm really stoked about is yeah. a router that we're gonna bring bring to the network as well. And so if you guys have seen some of the growth of the Helium network, mm-hmm. um but Helium is for last mile access to the internet, extending like 5G networks for people mm-hmm. to be able to get access to um, internet. They're still hoping? Helium's still, still hoping. Open. Well, I interviewed the, the founder of Helium like years ago, and I just have this. We, we interview so many projects, you, you just can never keep tabs. Maybe we need a core team member, Jess. We need to put out another ad. Hey, somebody keep tabs on all these projects we interview so we can do like where are they now episodes. But go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you, Dan. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's seen incredible growth. It actually has had global development of people like extending Wi-Fi networks and being able to provide last mile access to the internet. Um, and similarly, I think that we'll have, and that's based on putting um, antennas and mm-hmm. uh, antennas that are part of the physical, you know, physical devices and part of the Helium network to offer that bandwidth. We're um, looking to do say, the same as far as offering a hardware device to make it seamless for people to offer bandwidth to the network instead of using the handy host software, our own desktop application, yeah. make it even easier and more seamless for like the average consumer that just, you know, pays for internet uh, and is used to it to be able to start earning passive income by offering, uh, connecting their router and easily configuring it to offer bandwidth. And then also the router will offer a standard Wi-Fi signal and then an additional Wi-Fi signal that's end-to-end encrypted. So you get access to decentralized VPN across all your devices. So I'm really stoked for that. This is there's been a ton of clamor from our community, and a lot of people online are saying, "Oh man, I would love to have a decentralized VPN router." Um, so we're working with, you know, we're in initial conversations with a few different manufacturers right now, and getting that process going. Um, that's another product I'm I'm really stoked about. Man, that is that is dope. It sounds like you're putting in work, Dan. We're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna throw some trademark questions at you. You got to put your thinking cap on for these ones. Jesse, I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, so is what you do actually difficult? Yeah, but I can't take a lot of credit, man. Like, I'm not, you know, I kind of feel like a LARP sometimes. I'm like the face of the project. And like, I understand the tech at a pretty deep level, but I'm not a technologist by trade or by heart. Right. Um, our CTO, Srinivas, is, is way more competent and skilled and is building out a lot of the back tech integrations. And then we're working a lot of different front end and back end of devs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that maybe I have the easy job out of everyone. But also um, coming on podcasts like this and talking about our deliverables, and then I'm not the one that's necessarily in control of when we're able to deal with those or we're working with, you know, Apple because they're not confirming our app in time or um, dealing with challenges within the blockchain or, you know, you know, this whole ecosystem, there's so many different stakeholders and everyone has, you know, is looking for results now, now, now. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely challenging. But why, why wake up in the morning if you're not doing something that you're passionate about that gets you excited and Shit, it shouldn't be easy. If it's easy, anyone would do it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I wake up for eggs and bacon. 
Only <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, I love it, man. It's uh, I'm glad it's here. You know what's awesome, Jesse, is the trend. We've only got one person that's like, no, not really, not hard at all. Everybody is like, yeah, it's hard, and I take this shit very seriously. So yeah, I forgot who was that one person that said that. That like, oh yeah, it's easy. Uh, CEO or something or other. Maybe it's just a giga brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, all this stuff is yeah. In fact, while we were interviewing, I made stir fry. You didn't even notice. No, um, let's <laughs> let's ask our other. Um, we're gonna switch it up just a little bit. In ten words or less, can you define uh, Cosmos? Cosmos is the Internet of Blockchains. It's okay. uh, live interoperability. Super fast, super short. Love it. Um, well, Dan, is there anything uh, that you'd wish we'd ask you or wish we said that we didn't that you want to let the audience know or you can get to go? Yeah, I mean, come check us out. If you're excited about using the apps, download the apps. But also just come follow us. Uh, we're on Twitter, Sentinel underscore co. And then Exidio has a Twitter account, twitter.com uh, slash Exidio underscore co. And then come come join the Telegram chat, man. It's it's a wild place in there. Uh, we got the whole blue friend gang. If you haven't seen it, if you search on Twitter, hashtag blue friend gang, F-R-E-N. It's, there's a wild ass community of Sentinel supporters. Um, all made a bunch of blue pepes and mean themselves into like privacy, uh, privacy stallions championing the privacy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Um, it, man. J- come come jump in, you know, hit me up on Twitter. I'm uh at Deedle with four E's, D-E-E-E-E-D-L-E. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to connect with anyone that's excited about privacy and wants to learn about consumer applications. Uh, we're not making these you know, for us, by us, by the blockchain community. We're making these for everyone that's already looking for a VPN who wants to get a, a provably end-to-end encrypted one. Nice, Yo. man. Everybody listening, go do the things. All right. Thank you, Dan. Hey, thanks a bunch, Bitcoin Podcast. It was a blast. 